attempt to rank every single horror movie ever made, and this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? Pretty good. Um, Microcosm Publishing had a sale uh, through Humble Bundle, so mm-hmm. I bought a shit ton of zines, Ooh. and I've been reading Faith G. Harper's This Is Your Brain on Anxiety, and it might be the best self-help slash psychology book I've ever read. No shit. What is, so what's, what, what is its endealment? What's, what's so great about it? She says fucking every sentence. <laughs> Good. She says, hey, your brain's fucked up because fucking terrible shit happened to you as a kid, man. It's like that kind of tone the whole time, and it works. Because, fellow listeners, I have uh, read a lot of self-help books and a lot of psychology books, mm-hmm. and they're the worst genre of writing. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I've, yeah. I feel like so many of the writers, it's always some fucking uh, doughy, middle-aged white dude giving you platitudes. Yeah, yeah. That's and, and the case studies in those books, John is a man who was spanked for dropping a ball down the stairs, and now he can't feel fulfilled in life. And it's like... <laughs> Dude, just tell me the science of why my brain is not working so I can move on with my day. Yeah, fuck John. I I, I don't care about John. Tell me about me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, you know what? John is fine. He's probably getting some pretty good residuals from, like, the secret to having a a functioning brain. Um, Yeah. Honestly, my thing was, like, especially in uh, high school, my mom uh, would give me self-help books because I was (laughs) deeply traumatized and mentally ill. And, uh, so, and, and God bless my, God bless my mom. Like she would, she didn't really know how to help with how broken my brain was as a teenager. Uh, and so she would just sort of give me like, here's Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. And that sounds like Tony Robbins. What the, that sounds like a fantasy novel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, be, be, become a literal tree giant. Um, and it was, and my problem was like I read so many self help books. Although on top of that, I also read a lot of Christian self help books, um, on topics like there was this one. Um, I think the most notable one for me was uh, Every Man's Battle, which is a book about not jerking it. And it was it was incredible because like so much of, yeah every man's battle like the entire book is just about like not looking at a woman lustfully in your heart and then I yeah it's also incredible looking back on it now because I'm like they really did not plan for gay like for gay or queer people reading this book as, as closeted Jesus kids um, and it yeah so so self help books I feel like when you find one that's really good you fucking hold on to that. Yeah, yeah. So I um, wholeheartedly endorse everything Faith G. Harper has written that I've read thus far. Oh, man, I got to look that up. Yeah. So what kind of ghoul shit have you been into recently? Well, uh, my uh, so my buddy Michael Francis, um, who is uh, uh, on, on uh, Twitter, he's he hangs out. He's got uh, this zine that he uh, is part of putting out called uh, TPK which is uh, old school and indie RPGs and it's basically uh, a zine that I got to edit that was sort of about you know horror art in uh, tabletop RPG ma- uh, manuals and about gaming generally and about music and just sort of being part of this uh, subculture of people who are into online or uh, people who are into tabletop games 
and editing it, um, I realized I my my progress on editing it was glacial until I just put on uh, Heaven and Hell, uh, the album by Black Sabbath where Dio sang on it, and then I was able to knock it out really quickly. So it was. Listen, certain things must uh, be observed, and one of those is uh, Dio era Black Sabbath while editing. Now, Ryan, I'm led to believe that you and I have a piece in this zine. Yes, we do. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, so which obviously for Mothership, which is uh, sort of uh, blue collar space horror, which Yo, is. Mothership owns fucking bones. I cannot so say enough how good that game is. It's incredible. And I love that it taps into, because especially with sort of space RPGs, um, I feel like because of, let's face it, fucking Warhammer. And I've played a lot of Warhammer in my life, so this isn't me shitting on Warhammer uh, 40k. But I feel like because of sort of Warhammer and its ilk, which is also part of just generally military sci-fi and the long, the curiously long history of military sci-fi, which, side note to the side note here, why is there so much military sci-fi? It feels very fascist. It feels like it a lot of people really into that. Oh, side note to the side note to the side note. Mm -hmm. Today I overheard people talking about how great Lovecraft was, and it took every fiber of my being to not yell, but he's a fucking racist. <laughs> Google the cat. Google the cat. Just look up the cat's name. Um, <laughs> yeah, with, with Lovecraft. Honestly, I it's so weird to me that there's such a long and like established subgenre with military sci-fi because it's like, Thousands and thousands of writers have looked at the, you know, boundless reaches of space and the edge of your imagination with science fiction that you can just put in anything that you can imagine in this universe. And the, the, the best you can do with it is, what if I shoot space a lot with my gun? And <laughs> it's, you know, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't mean to shit talk the genre of like, you know, uh, peop, you know, because, you know, people like what they like and I don't want to shit on it, but... Uh, it fundamentally bores the shit out of me. I think the only military sci-fi I've ever enjoyed basically ignores the fact that it's military sci-fi, which is the uh, Vorkosigan books by Lois McMaster Bujold, um, largely because it just isn't really about the military sci-fi aspect, and it's about uh, a snotty, disabled, brilliant uh, guy named Miles Vorkosigan who constantly uh, steps on his own dick. And it's great. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. So, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, Mothership, I love that it's basically, uh, that it's not military sci-fi in the regard that it's like, it's sort of, I feel like it takes a lot of inspiration from the Nostromo, where it's just yeah, about it's, truckers. it's deeply influenced by the Nostromo, and yet it is so open-ended and the community. So I'm part of the um, Discord, and it is such a great community of dudes planning this uh and dudes in the non-binary sense oh, sure. but folks planning just ways to fuck over their players <laughs> so i've cribbed so much good stuff from that forum of hey uh i have a group and this is what they're doing have you tried this man i honestly i've been wanting to this players stats are too high well have you tried changing the the rules of reality and seeing how their character can cope with doors made out of flesh appearing in the <laughs> spaceship. <laughs> I think this is... Uh, I once had a DM in high school uh, named Ronnie, and Ronnie once uh, killed my character off by having me fall into a giant pit full of whipped cream. Um, because whipped cream is too dense for you to... Um, swim in or tread water in, but like you just sink right through it and you can't really get out of it. 
Um, I I've never realized how grim whipped cream was. You know, it's it's a real problem out here. I, I've been looking for uh, a campaign to run with a bunch of people in L.A., and I think it might just have to be Mothership because... Like it's the unifying thing because you know with so many of uh, with so many of my buddies who would play tabletop games like I it's hard to find a common denominator with them like you know not everybody wants to play Call of Cthulhu or Pathfinder or Vampire the Masquerade or I, I don't know I feel like it's it's somehow the actual intersection of what everybody likes which is sci-fi a little bit of horror like yeah it's it's extremely and, good. and the mundane action of having to come up with a job to pay for literally the gas in your spaceship man and yeah i honestly and that's the thing that i love so much about alien with the nostromo is like you know it's it's the future and people are arguing about bonuses and getting paid on time and it's yeah i the fact that harry dean stanton as soon as harry dean stanton is in a property it is now about blue collar themes i feel <laughs> like it's whatever lofty thing you had going it's now about harry dean stanton so I think Mothership would be great for your group, but have you um, read anything about Babes in the Woods? No. What's Babes in the Woods? So Babes in the Woods is a role-playing game based off of the Apocalypse system. So anyone who has listened to the Adventure Zone um, Amnesty arc or they fight the cryptids, it's that game system. But you are little kids who go into the woods on Halloween and run into supernatural themes. It, the the author said it's basically over the garden wall, the role playing game. Man, all right. So now I need to look into that because uh, so Sarah is obsessed with over the garden wall. Yeah. Um, so like, spoiler to anyone who hasn't read the rule book, but it's, there's scenarios like you find a apple orchard where ghosts are bobbing for apples and you have to navigate through without them realizing that you're a human. And you can also play as a uh, wisecracking animal, such as a dog or cat, or a child. That, I've, I've, listen, Quincy, that's all I've ever wanted to be is a wisecracking cat. Like, that's, oh, and, that's my final and form. And all of the artwork for the, the rule book is like classic, uh, Halloween postcard style art. So it's all these like, you know, child Victorian children dressed as pumpkins. Oh, that's fucking delightful. So yeah, so, that's sort of like uh, early 20th century rural horror vibe. Yeah. So uh, Ryan, it's the most wonderful time of year. It's time for Scratch Cats. <laughs> Wait, what is Scratch Cats? So Scratch Cat is the specific Bicel vintage Halloween design from the 1930s that's that cat that's like scratching, ready to scratch the shit out of you. Oh, very good. Excellent. So, he's, yeah. He's on a lot of stuff these days because people are really into collecting it. Mm -hmm. And Emily went to Michael's and just bought pretty much everything with a scratch cat on it to decorate our house for Halloween. That's honestly all I want. To, uh, and this is, I'm realizing, uh, you know, the thing of like, you know, damn millennials just want unrealistic things like maybe a stable job and uh, maybe a car and the ability to save for retirement. I've realized that like, so much, so I, I fantasize about eventually getting to A, own a house and then B, make that house and lawn a fucking Halloween phantasmagoric nightmare. Ryan, you don't have to wait. You can make this dream a reality. <laughs> we got a damn doormat with a 
black cat going on it and it says welcome scaredy cats oh my god that is well that's just outstanding so now ryan how do you feel about halloween inflatables uh (laughs) i would describe myself as positive toward halloween inflatables now wait a dang minute (laughs) Uh-huh. This feels like there's a lot of reveals and betrayals on the long-running history of this podcast. <laughs> this one is maybe the wildest. Why do you like Halloween inflatables? Oh, you mean like lawn inflatables? Yeah, yeah, not inflatable costumes. Everyone likes inflatable oh, costumes. Oh, okay, okay, because I was going to say, like, inflatable costumes are great. They, they're big and, and bulbous, and you get to walk around in them. Oh, in that case, if we're talking about Halloween lawn inflatables, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> this isn't Christmas. That's not for two more months. Let's, come on, if it's your, if it's your lawn... I shouldn't be looking at it going like, oh, look at the look at the big friendly fellow. I should mistake the thing on your lawn for an actual corpse. So it's driving me crazy because literally moments before recording, I found on the Michaels website a skinny fellow lawn inflatable. (laughs) (laughs) Similar but legally distinct to the Slender Man. Oh, and now it is gone. (laughs) Lawn manager. Like, he's just in a suit, and he's very tall. Yeah, he's just tall lawn manager. (laughs) It's fucking gone, Ryan. That's... (laughs) They took it off the website in the hour I saw it, and then now when we're recording. (laughs) I mean, that's... You know what you need to do, then? You need to get some white pantyhose and, you know, wrap it over your your head and wear a suit and hang out on the lawn and then move suddenly and make someone yell. Man, my fondest memories of Halloween are my neighbor dressing as a gorilla and just sitting as still as possible on his porch (laughs) until a child would go by. And he would do that year after year after year. Man, did I ever tell you about my Uncle Jimmy um, and his Halloween mistake with scaring kids? No. So uh, I have an uncle, uh, Uncle Jim, who, uh, you know that uncle that makes really, really bad decisions, but you you love him as a kid because he makes sort of like dirty adjacent jokes that, you know, your your aunts are like, hey, Jim, stop it, stop it. And he's like the funny guy. So, uh, yeah. but also he has like a history of drug abuse and then he's going to make a lot of other bad decisions. So that was my Uncle Jim. And he, uh, so one Halloween uh, at my grandparents' house in Hammond, Indiana, which is a cursed place. He was on the roof in a, a a monster costume with like goopy effects dripping over the side like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that got smashed or whatever. And uh, he was popping over the lip of the roof when there were trick-or-treaters to be like, blah, and they would be like, what? And, you know, get scared because there's a guy yelling at them. Uh, and then, so there was a lull in the trick-or-treaters coming to the house. It was like five minutes or so, and he was getting bored. So he decides you know what, next trick-or-treater that comes down the walkway, I'm just, I'm going to fucking go for it. I'm going to I'm gonna scare the shit out of this kid. I'm going to put an exclamation point on this. I'm going to really go for the deluxe spook. And then a couple of minutes pass, he hears the scuffing of tiny feet and goes, it's fucking go time. And he yeets himself off of the roof <laughs> going, Wah! and he lands and then sees before him a four-year-old girl in a little clown costume and she's so scared and she just like starts crying and drops her trick-or-treat bag and runs off and he's like ah fuck 
And the little girl comes back with her mom. And he's like, hey, hey, ma'am, sorry. Yeah, I, I shouldn't have. I didn't realize. And then she slaps him. And he's like, yep, I, that's, that's fair. I understand. Um, <laughs> like, he, he knows he was on his bullshit. And he's ready to atone for it. Um, and yeah, honestly, Halloween hero uh, to me. Like, I, that's, uh, that's, I think, uh, a, a sacred position is being that neighbor who sits stock still in the yard and then spooks you. Yeah, it's like <laughs> one in every neighborhood must take up the mantle. Absolutely. Did you see, I think, the thing that blew my mind was, I think it was last year, did you see that somebody in, like, some, some little suburban uh, uh, hamlet uh, made a giant, like, sort of balsa wood uh, Michael Myers house house front to put in front of his house uh, to make it look like the house was the house from Halloween with, like, a Michael Myers uh, on it and everything. And if you, like, look around, it's, like, there's just the regular house with, like, this little, like, two feet deep uh, thing in front of that's, it. That's, that's wonderful. Especially yeah. because last year I was so disenchanted because I watched that um haunted house documentary mm -hmm. was just very angry oh haunters yeah know that there's still pure individuals in the world yeah god damn it there's we, we scare because we care that's <laughs> you know it's 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 a nice thing um so let's talk about our patreon uh real quick yeah so um we have a patreon there's several tiers two dollars a month gets you uh, very colorful show notes for every episode. Um, we are a little late, but we're going to post some of the other ones. Uh, I promise one will include a picture of the Slim Man from Michael's. <laughs> the Slim Man. to purchase it. The Skinny Fella. The Skinny Fella. <laughs> um, <laughs> quarterly boxes uh, go out to our $25 donors, and those hit the mail um this week so by the time this airs uh our donors should receive those yeah. um i done goofed y'all there is handmade art in those boxes and um i forgot to take photos of any of it and it's custom so um if you get that please post it and tag us because otherwise <laughs> i have no record it's of the art that was made specifically for these subscription boxes like tears in the rain yeah um it's yeah. so yes yeah, so we're about to mail those out it's going great and once again everybody who has uh put money in our coffers uh we are so unbelievably fucking grateful and we love you guys absolutely thank you so much i thank you because it Suddenly, it makes the thing that we do not a bad financial decision <laughs> and just a bad moral decision. Yeah, yeah. It makes it makes us feel bad in our souls and not our wallets, which is, I think, all we can ask for on a podcast where we have seen over 400 horror movies. Because, listen, I was watching, watching Mystery Monsters, a.k.a. Goobers, this week, and oh. I cannot defend that hour and 20 <laughs> oh. minutes of my life. Holy fuck. All right, so let's... Let's get into it. This was a, uh, all right, so, uh, Mystery Monsters, or Gobers, exclamation point. Um, this was a movie directed by Charles Band from, I want to say, 1997? 97. Now, this was in Charles Band's heyday of the video store, where he was directing under multiple pseudonyms. Right. So, because Charles Band was associated with Full Moon horror and creepiness he went by the name robert talbot <laughs> i mean there's only there's only one alan smithy you know like you might as well just come up with different names at that point um goobers so uh this movie is 
a fucking crime. It is so bad. It's, I hate this movie with my so life. It's so wild that Charles Band is like, I just need to make another movie with puppets. All I want is to make one more puppet movie. You know what it is? All right, so I figured it out. So if I could give a one-sentence, like, logline for Goobers, a.k.a. Mystery Monsters, it would be, what if the monsters from Puppet Master were villains from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? Yeah, and pretty that's much. Yeah, it's, so this is... A kids movie, but it is all right. So we should we should dive into it a little bit. Um, so it opens with this like Firefly Funhouse esque like children's show broadcast, and it's a, a a host named Captain Mike, and uh, he's like a, a a cartoony sea captain guy who hangs out with children. That's fine. Um, and he uh, a, a new kid is introduced. Um, and then there are, like, all these little goobers who are like, well, we're monsters or whatever. And you've got, like, the guy who looks like... Uh, the, the main one who... Uh, this movie is a big fan of what if this monster sounded like an erudite, like, James Mason. Where he's just sort of talking like this and everything is... You know, he's a, he's a puppet and he's, he's being reasonable with you. Um, and he basically looks like Tim Curry in Legend if you flipped the horns onto his chin. Yeah, yeah. It is just like... This movie feels like someone was at Full Moon Studios and they're like, we're testing out some makeup. Can we make this a, its own movie so we could write it off for tax purposes? Oh, the, you th so you think this was a tax, tax dodge? I don't know. I don't really understand taxes enough to understand how <laughs> a film can be a tax dodge. Right. But I wonder. It, or is it the 1997 attitude of children will literally watch anything? You know, I think... It, all right, so it might have been the second one. It's. I, I feel like all of the dialogue and jokes in this movie were written for the writers of this movie and nobody else, and even they don't think it's funny. Um, yeah, it's it's very bad. So so, it's revealed that this new kid is hired to be on this children's show because the the other kids on the show are aging out. Right, and it's like a and like there's all these weird jokes about like haha you're going through puberty so you can't be a child star anymore. Which is, again, who is that for? Right. I, um, I, I love it because of how deeply... I, I love deeply unrelatable things, like a, a, like a, a thirteen, like a 12-year-old kid going like, yeah, I was like you once, full of dreams, and I hadn't hit puberty, and you know, it's gonna, it's gonna happen to you too, kid. And it's just like, who is this for? Like, why, <laughs> why am I who watching? Who is it for? Who is the target fucking audience for, like, in-jokes about, like, you've got... All right. So you get this, like, Rita Repulsa-esque uh, lady who comes in, and her name is Queen Mara, and uh, she was the original owner of these things that are used as puppets on the show called so, Goobers. So Captain Mike says, listen, kid, you're going to do fine here as long as you stay out of my dressing room. And yeah. the kid's like, ha ha, and he's like, no, really, never come in my dressing room. Yeah, and so he's like... So of course, like, what does the kid do? He peeks through the keyhole, and turns out these are not puppets, they are monsters from space space maybe the past the present supernatural <sighs> what are they they're 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 goobers uh they <laughs> they look like uh melted rubber toys from a vending machine that have learned how to be bad actors um they and, and so this kid like it's actually kind of great because captain mike 
uh, just is like threatening a child, and he's like, "You little shit! If you go in my room or look at the monsters, you'll you'll never work in this town again, and I will personally kill you." And he's just like being super intense, and this kid is like, "I am 12," and the uh, the girl on this show is sort of like trying to be nice to the new kid because, yeah, I. It's, because girls, I guess. I think that's really the depth of her characterization is, you know, she's a nice girl. She's a nice girl, yeah. And so you get these, uh, I, I guess, aliens. One of them is named uh, Queen Mara, and she's, like, the, the previous owner of these goobers. And so you know what kids love um, in 1997 in their movie is jokes about being an executive producer? Um, because Queen Mara demands to be referred to as, like, I am an executive producer because I execute and I am a producer. And it's like, they they make jokes about, like, German art house films and stuff. And it's like, this is too dumb for adults and too inside baseball for children and unforgivable for everyone. Yeah, it's wild. So they they go and they're they're trying to obtain to like queen mara's trying to get her goobers back and they like her her goon is this big long-haired guy who i'm assuming is a professional wrestler he's a tarzan looking guy Uh, and he um he has an accent that makes him sound like he's uh an eastern european gangster from 1920s brooklyn like this is obviously an american guy trying to do a bad he well i mean this is him trying to do some kind of accent but i don't think he settled on which one he was going to try and do and it's uh it's very bad so warm-hearted shenanigans ensue with a kid who has these aliens at his house Mm -hmm. meanwhile queen mara and her goon are like cutting people's noses off and like chaining them to tables that's about the point of the movie where emily walked through the room and said who is this for <laughs> and i said i don't know you know what it is it's for the children of burbank uh tv producers who uh light their own arm hair on fire to feel joy that's who this is for specifically um, Another thing that's wild about this movie is almost all of it is shot in close-up. Yes! Because it was cheaper to just shoot from the shoulders up than to invest in scenery or costumes. Costumes or, yeah. it's Yeah, everything is in super, super close-up. Um, I'd like to point out, I did not finish this movie. <laughs> Don't worry, Ryan, I did. There we go, because I'm, I'm looking at the notes and I'm realizing... That <laughs> I'm realizing that um, the last note I had on this was, I'm going to keep it 100 with you. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this movie. I feel like my eyes are getting peeled with a rock. And then right after, I, I clearly in, uh, hit enter right after it and then didn't type anything in the next <laughs> It is just fucking blank. And I'm, I'm realizing that was when I was like, I, I guess I just like wandered away from it in a fugue state. How does <laughs> How does the movie end? So the movie ends with the goobers saying, you know, we have magical powers and we live to serve our master. So 12-year-old kid, you opened the box that we live in, so you're our master now. And he goes, oh, cool. Let's be, let's just start the new show. So they have, they like do a hard reboot 
of their TV show, and now it's called the Mystery Monsters Show, and it's everything's the same except the kid is the star with the monsters, and uh, Captain Mike is like called uh, Piss Bucket Boy or something, <laughs> and they make fun of him. I the so wait, someone got their nose cut off at some point. Not on camera, but they're like, we're going to torture you until we get the goobers back. And the guy's like, I don't know where they are. And then there's like, the the day is saved with fine print because the, the older kid is like, actually, they sold the television rights to me. So I'm sole owner of the goobers. So I get to make the calls now. That sounds deeply unsatisfying as a conclusion. It, it, it was. That... That's incredible. Um, the, all right, the effects are Let's not put it on the list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, to wit, is this is this a full moon release? Not technically. Okay. It is a multicom entertainment, which is, I believe, a shell company of Full Moon. Okay, so it's it's in there. Uh, it's in the mix somewhere. So scroll down. On, on the list. <laughs> okay, so uh, way, remember that movie we watched that was supposed to be a Ghoulie sequel but wasn't officially licensed? Oh, uh, wait, you're thinking of Gasly's. Yeah, worse than Gasly's. Oh, definitely worse than Gasly's. At least Gasly's made me go, oh, I remember Ghoulie's, and then that was way more than just me sort of staring into the middle distance wanting to die watching Mystery Monsters. Um... I do think it's better than Wolf Creek 2. Okay, now why do you think it's better than Wolf Creek 2? Because uh, it's inscrutable and deeply joyless and confusing, which is way better than, like, actively taking, like... I don't, I don't know, like, Wolf Creek 2 is... Uh, you know how I hate the term torture porn? Yes. This is... At, Wolf Creek 2 is actual torture porn, where it's just like... We need to see uh, Mick Taylor from uh, Wolf Creek just torture the shit out of a guy for like an hour and a half and quiz him about Australian history. Uh, and it's just deeply, it's, it's, it commits the biggest sin, I think, for a horror movie, which is that it's just fucking boring. Um, and this at least made me go, what the fuck? Like a, like a bunch of times. So... Going by that, I think I'm putting uh, that above. Which, all right, so which is better? The Nun from last year or Goobers, a.k.a. Mystery Monsters? You know, I can tell you sort of the plot of Goobers. I cannot tell you what actually happens in The Nun. I I watched most, if not all, of that movie, and I do not remember it. Actually, same. I remember hating it. <laughs> That's. I'm going to yeah. say that mystery monsters should go above the predator because it is not offensive to uh, people yeah. on the with the autism spectrum disorder yeah but it's not as good as nocturno which was meant to <laughs> launch nine Bonet's acting career god damn that's grim yeah i feel pretty good about that so yeah so all right so coming in at our new number 405 above uh, the predator and below nocturna from 1979 is Mystery Monsters, a.k.a. Goobers! Exclamation point. Uh, may, <laughs> may it rot in hell. <laughs> I hate that movie so much. 
It's it's pretty bad. It's really now let's very talk dumb. about a good film. Oh, now we're talking. All right. So the other movie that um, we're talking about this week, uh, it is on Amazon Prime right now, which I know that Prime is the devil, but also it's a good documentary uh, called Scary Stories, which uh, obviously is a documentary about. Uh, the Scary Stories uh, to Tell in the Dark books by Alvin Schwartz, which were deeply fucking formative uh, children's books in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah, and this documentary opened with the dude from Harley Poe. And I was like, holy shit, someone else remembers Harley Poe. Didn't you have a pug named after Harley Poe? No, my pug was named after Harley Quinn. Oh, very good. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, it's it's the two genders. Um, and yeah, it starts with him uh, opening the documentary by uh, singing uh, the Hearst song and sort of talking about why he loved those books and how important they were to him. And it's deeply, honestly to me, like deeply fucking wholesome that it was him talking about like, you know, like there's a whimsy to the song and it ends with, and that's the end of a perfect day, which is like, oh, you know, death isn't so bad. Like it's, there's a kind of goofy... Uh, fun about death and and d- the dead and dying. Um, and then it sort of goes into it. And uh, so it talks about how uh, Alvin Schwartz, um, apparently he, you know, he had a, what, like decades long career writing kids books. Yeah, he wrote like 50 books in his entire career. Yeah, it's no joke. And these books, um, and it sort of goes, and one of the things, all right, so right out of the gate, I love that those books cite their sources in the very back and they you know, are sort of like this, uh, you know, for example, Harold is taken from this region of the United States and this, you know, folklore uh, tradition. And you get a bunch of, you know, people on screen sort of like talking about why scary stories to tell in the dark, like, because you would think, why were three relatively short children's books uh, so, like, why are they so uh, long lasting in the public imagination? Why are we still talking about them? I think what matters about Alvin Schwartz is it treats children like adults. Yeah, and which also, so um, a thing that it digs into in this, which I actually had no idea that this had ever happened until I I saw this documentary, it goes into um, a period of time uh, in the 90s where uh, these books uh, were uh, on the banned list at, like, in several, like, schools and libraries, uh, and there is a lady in, uh, in the documentary who al- also gets interviewed in the documentary in present day. I who... mean, good on her for being a good sport, but man, she sucks. Oh, she sucks and so bad. And she's not apologetic. She's like, no, I don't like these books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and, don't and she... care. I don't fucking like them. Yeah. And they and... hand her one and she's like, this is gross. I don't want to look at the pictures. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically her going like, I'm uncomfortable with having a body. I'm uncomfortable with the fact that death exists. Um, and it goes into the fact that, you know, like there were there was this one really ride or die librarian back in the day who also appears in the, in the documentary who like... Uh, the PTA was like, hey, you need to take this book off the shelves at the elementary school library. And she's like, why? And they're like, these books are too scary for children. And she's like, no, they're not. And like, I, all right. So I think that there is a bigger conversation to be had around the idea of like some books are maybe not appropriate for certain age groups, right? Like you wouldn't put Lost Souls by Poppy Z. Bright in an elementary school library. Friend, I don't know if you'd put Poppy Z. Bright in a regular library. <laughs> I mean, I, I could see yes, but I'll tell you that Exquisite Corpse 
haunts my waking oh man i am that it's yeah it's a lot um also like poppy z bright generally is just such a doom cookie and i i I love him very much um they although i i believe his name is billy martin now um yeah he, he doesn't go by um his uh former name yeah yeah and although i i the thing is that i think he's sort of like well you know like poppy z bright was my stage name anyway like my real fucking name was never poppy z bright so it's sort of you know but yeah i so there there's a conversation i think to be had around certain books are not appropriate for certain age groups but the thing is like scary stories to tell in the dark from the writing on down to i think like the gore level i think is pretty much appropriate for elementary school like that's yeah the now, it is undeniable that Stephen Gamel's art is fucked up. It's incredible. And a large portion of the documentary is like, we don't even know who this guy is. He won't do interviews. Yeah, and actually, and I think that uh, that has helped, I think, maybe protect his mystique a little bit, or the mystique of the art. Because, you know, I feel like when you, when you say the phrase scary stories to tell in the dark, everybody instantly, their brains throw out, like, a helpful Google search whatever black and white image from those books immediately like you know pops into your head where it's like either mine is always when i hear the the name of the book i always picture just the severed arm holding the fork with the bloody meatball on it yeah um and those illustrations are just like hairy and and gross and stringy and they all look like they're looking at you and it just looks now i think that it's kind of it's for me the the texas chainsaw massacre effect where like there's something about the scary stories books that feel forbidden right yeah it feels like something you shouldn't be seeing and another thing i love about this doc is they talk about not only why the books are so good but how influential they are and there's a big segment where they show artists who make art recapturing the feeling and a guy made an actual sculpture of the cover which is the clown head growing out of the ground oh and yeah the best detail is he said yeah and i use hot glue strings to make the hair Fuck, that's so cool. Because, yeah, it's that wispy, greasy, nasty feeling. And it's I love that they've been able to, like... And, and, and in, in the documentary, they talk about the fact that Stephen uh, Gamel, like, uh, he, he gave an interview back in the day. Um, and it was sort of an obscure interview, so they don't exactly have, like, a, a an audio recording of it. But it's him talking about, like, he never works with uh, the writers of the books that he illustrates for because he doesn't want... He's not interested in, like, creating an exact replica of the thing that the writer has in mind or, like, collaborating on that. I think it's him, like, trying to... And and I think it works fucking beautifully in his art that he reads the words and tries to feel the emotion that that gives him and to give an approximation on an emotional level of that with his art, which is surrealistic and uncomfortable. And it's fucking incredible. Um... They now all right. Did you did you see? And I think this was a few years ago. They they reissued um, the scary stories books with uh, a different artist. Yes, and there was a public outcry, and rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His name was uh, Brett Helquist, and uh, honestly, and and it, it sort of offends me on the level of like, don't replace those fucking perfect horrible illustrations. It's just like. All right, the thing that the thing about those illustrations is that Stephen Gamble's art, you they look like they're looking at you 
like you don't have any buffer between you and the thing you're looking at. It's this scary, horrible, greasy thing that's just you know you're you, you're stuck with that. And then Brett Helquist's art is all just sort of like, and here's a lady walking up the stairs, and here's and it's just deeply terrible. And apparently they they re reissued it with the original uh, Gamel illustrations. Do you feel bad for Brett Helquist though? Because like. There's listicles talking about, like, the 18 most egregious art replacements by Brett Helquist. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, I, I, I feel like, I feel, all right, this is, this, I don't, I don't want to sound rude. Um, I feel like if you're, like, don't take that job, man. Like, you're, <laughs> you know what it is? You it's have. De- it's designed to fail. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's built to fail. What you're ch- essentially choosing to do is you remember um, years ago that um, that lady uh, that worked at a church that like tried to fix that painting of Jesus. <laughs> the NJ Homo lady. Yes, and and it was just like it made it look like this weird monkey Christ. So at what point do it's you that. think they realized that? So like surely with both that insane lady. And this guy, they're like, I can do it. I'm talented. I bet I could. I'm do sure it. they had some friends gassing them up, like, "Oh, you're gonna do great." Oh At yeah. What point in the middle of the process did they realize, "Oh, this was a mistake"? So then they doubled down. That's a great fucking question. I feel like they they must have doubled down because it was sort of like, well, you know, Stephen Gamel is a cryptid, and nobody knows where he is anymore. And Alvin Schwartz has been dead for many years, so you know what? Um, we think there's still a buck to be made off of reissuing this, maybe for a new generation of kids. And it's like, guys, do you understand why we're still talking about these books? Like, the reason that we're still talking about it is because, like, the, it didn't talk down to children? Like, it was... Now, and this is this is also the thing that I realized watching this, is like, I, especially with, you know, sort of horror for children... You know, I think one of the reasons that kids love this so much was that, A, again, it feels fucking forbidden, like, when you're looking at this as a kid. You feel like you're not supposed to be looking at it. Uh, when you make that sort of safe and Disney-fied and, like, sort of nice, I feel like that rings... I don't know. It kind of rings as false in... I don't know, kind of like... Listen, motherfucker, I'm a kid and I know that the world wants to murder me. I know that things are not actually that nice. Don't Don't patronize me. Yeah, it, and and I think that's why it works so well. What is your what is the most revelatory moment in this documentary? What do you think is the thing that like it said that really blew the lid right off scary stories to tell in the dark? You know what? You know what it is. I think it was uh, the bit. Um, now, okay, it's it's uh, so it's Alvin Schwartz's son who features heavily in the documentary, and he was sort of mildly estranged from his son and uh apparently toward you know uh, when when um his son was in grad school and you know when you know you're you're in grad school and the stuff that you do all day is the most important thing in the world and of great you know consequence to history and he was talking to his father and sort of telling him like you know and he obviously it's fucking heartbreaking because he bitterly regrets this now but he was like i don't know I don't know why you're wasting all of your time on the stupid kids book shit. Uh, I think uh, you should do more ambitious things. Um, I think this isn't important, and I think it's stupid. And Alvin Schwartz said to him, apparently, you really don't want to know what I'm thinking about you right now. And it's like, this thing of, like, this was important. Like, these, these books, 
Um, I think as it's it's a, a particularly American experience with folklore. It's a compendium of that, and it's you know Alvin Schwartz researched so much for these books. Um, I will say. R.L. Stein pops up in this documentary uh, a lot, and it's great. Um, although I'm disappointed because R.L. Stein says in this documentary that, like, you know, I'm I'm a horror author, and I think when people you know picture me, they you know they picture me sort of coming out with you know fangs and a cape, and then you know I come out looking like this, and I'm just like a normal guy, and I'm like motherfucker, if if I'm R.L. Stein, I am bringing a portable boombox with the monster mash with me. Into every room I come in, I, I, I am going to have glow-in-the-dark fangs. I am going to have a cravat. You're R.L. Also, Stein. as a child, R.L. Stein's author photo scared me because he looks like a goddamn Dracula. <laughs> I mean, he is. He's got dead eyes and a widow's <laughs> peak. Like, he looks like a, a, a Madame Tussauds statue that wants to, you know, crawl into your house in the middle of He's the night. He's got this mole that I guess it's not harmful, benign, because he still has it. He's but, still alive. But is it? But he's though? got this insidious mole on his head. <laughs> you know, benign doesn't mean safe. You know, it's, 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 it's I don't trust that mole. I don't trust Arl Stein. Um, what's incredible to me also, so the PTA president uh, at you know throughout the documentary who was trying to get the book banned, um, she is in the documentary again. Uh, all these these many years later. And I love, honestly, my favorite thing is I love people with a profound lack of self-awareness because there's a bit where she's like, you know, oh, and the parents were mad because they're like, oh, all of a sudden I'm a censor for wanting to ban these books and make them unavailable to children. And like, yeah, that's that's what censorship is. Um, Now, all right, it's incredible because she is still kind of an asshole. Oh, yeah, she still sucks. Yeah. Pretty hardly. In the in the intervening like twenty years between when she was leading her crusade against these books and now, she has gained no deeper catharsis or understanding of these books or the greater phenomenon of horror and children. Um, and it's incredible because all right, so toward the end of the documentary, uh, she um, goes over to Alvin Schwartz's son's house. Uh, and he's, like, making a cheese plate. The documentary shows him making a cheese plate and being nervous, and it's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. And so she comes over, and she's still on on the the uh, of the perspective that, oh, well, these books are bad and mean, and I'm uncomfortable with the existence of death, and I don't think children should look at it. And then, you know, he gives a really thoughtful response, and then she, she keeps babbling. Eventually, the documentary just shows her talking but plays light jazz over it and just shows her mouth moving with, like, a clarinet and shit, just sort of playing over And it's like, yeah, no, she's she's full of shit. Um, after 20 years, like, she, she in the documentary, says that, like, you know, I'm really glad you're making this documentary because I feel like, you know, they're more, you know, the whole story wasn't told about these books and about the cultural phenomenon. And she just repeats the same stupid bullshit she said back in the 90s. And it's like, can you imagine not having changed as a person in, like, 20 years? Um, as someone who, you know, is wearing Yoda socks... And... <laughs> in fairness, we're really excited about scary stories to tell in the dark 20 years later... <laughs> So, so you I know don't who know the if asshole I'm the is? Right it's person us. to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my feelings uh, as a, a a nine-year-old. Oh boy, scary stories. My feelings at thirty-two. Oh boy, scary stories. <laughs> um, like here's here's the thing. We can go into all of the deeply cerebral sociological reasons for why we like horror and why it speaks to us. But really, what it comes down to, 
I like Dracula. Like, that's really... <laughs> it's got, listen... You can turn into a bat and a wolf. <laughs> it's got spooky skeletons and a guy with an axe who goes, ah, and it's like, <laughs> that's... Listen, anything we say about why we love the horror genre that's not that is just a... a it's it's artifice. It's, it's us attempting to put a, a fancy mustache on our love of, of Dracula. Um, oh, man. But now there's a bit in the documentary that made, that I got really choked up during, which is that um, they're, you know, during the the public hearings for like, should we ban these books from the library? Um, this fella gets up and he's like, you know, it's saying in his really, you know, thick, you know, Minnesota accent, like, you know, I, I, I work all day and uh, I don't, you know, I don't have time to read to my kid. And, uh, you know, I, I come home late at night. And if you if you ban these books, you know, if you ban, you know, she's got these goosebumps books. And, uh, you know, they get her to read. And I'm afraid that if she doesn't read, you know, she's going to end up in a bad job like me. And it's just like, fucking kill me. This guy gets it. Like, look, I don't really care care for or care about these books, but they, my kid loves them. And there's this sense of joy throughout the documentary of all these people who, as kids, got into horror or got into reading because of scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah, and I firmly believe... The, le- the most innocuous thing, like the least dangerous thing is to learn about the world through a book. Well, because it gives you, you know, even I, I would say, so you know how this is a horror movie podcast. I feel like I, I know a lot of people who love to read horror and can't really do horror movies because you're not being, I think, bombarded in maybe the same way. Because when you're watching a movie, you know, you've got, you know, you're, you're sort of, like, locked into it, you know. Like, you can pause it and go away, but it's a sensory experience where with reading horror, you know, you the, I, maybe it's sort of a, an easier gateway into getting into reading that way. I think there's something to that. And I think it's the same, like, good horror has the same visceral reaction as the... Um, as film yeah because you know when i read poppy z bright uh <laughs> i get a physical reaction to um exquisite corpse yeah it's you fucking upsetting mention a shrimp deviner to me without me oh. throwing up in my mouth a little bit <laughs> yeah exquisite corpse is fucking rough i this is yeah i agree and and i think um alvin schwartz who by the way is just a mischievous little imp of a, of a guy and i love him like they uh, play a clip of him uh, giving uh, an audio interview from back in the day, and he's just, you know, singing a bunch of little folklore songs about, like, skeletons or whatever, and, you know, they he, or he, he, he reads this little tiny poem about a thing, like, off the top of his head, and they're like, so wait, where did you get that? He's like, oh, you know, you just, you pick things up, and, and he's just, I feel like you can hear in that interview that he also is basically going, oh boy, Dracula, and it's... <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, there's so much joy in horror that uh, I feel like this documentary really, really captures, and also just makes PTA Lady look like a huge asshole. There's one thing that's haunted me about Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, though. What's up? Why does that family find a big toe in the garden and think, throw it in the stew pot? <laughs> that's a really good point. You know, they, I it, do not feel sorry for them when the ghost is like, you ate my toe, because, no, <laughs> don't eat a toe. Yeah, I feel like at that point, it's not like a monster thing of like, you ate my toe. I feel like that's when, as a monster, you show up and go, what the 
fuck? You <laughs> ate my toe. What's like, wrong with you? <laughs> he's not like, I'm I mean, gonna kill- that's why I like the creature from the Black Lagoon so much, because he's really <laughs> saying, like, what is wrong with you people? Get get the fuck out of my swamp. What are why are you here? Like <laughs> Yeah, there's there's that and the guy with the golden arm. Like, don't steal my golden arm. What the fuck is wrong with you? Um listen, you're the, the monsters are just trying to hang out. They they don't they don't want to be bothered by some kid with a with a garden tool digging off your toe and throwing it in the chili or whatever. Um it's yeah. Uh so alright, so where uh, where on the list do we feel... Uh, so let's scroll up. Where where on the list do we feel like this, this should go? Okay, so number 200 mm-hmm. is the Jeffrey Dahmer Files, the documentary about Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, a documentary that makes you want to peel your own skin off with a vegetable peeler and throw it away, or a documentary that makes you feel really excited about the experience of being alive? Okay, so let me put it this way. Which scene would you like to watch on repeat? Jeffrey Dahmer's neighbor coming to the realization on camera that she ate human flesh because she said, yeah, Jeffrey would always give me food. And, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the PTA lady eating dinner with (laughs) Alvin Schwartz's family. Uh, I would say watching PTA lady, uh, PTA lady eating dinner, eating an uncomfortable cheese plate with the son of Alvin Schwartz. I would way rather watch that. I think uh, the Jeffrey Dahmer Files. It's a really good documentary. Uh, not an everyday food for me. That's fair. That's like that's yeah. I, I feel like I would watch that maybe occasionally when I need to sort of like if I'm doing research about Dahmer or, or like anyway. Yeah. So I would put that above that. I think I would also. Um, all right, so uh, one of the, the many boss battles on, on our podcast. Uh, which is better, Scary Stories or The Devil's Rejects at number 198? You didn't even have to ask me. It's Scary Stories. It's Scary Stories, yeah. All right, so moving right along. Uh, it has joy. <laughs> yeah, it has joy. You know what The Devil's Rejects is? Do you remember Glass Joe in Punch-Out? Like, just the first, the first fucking guy that you just, you, you knock him out and it's, it's great. I think that's the devil's rejects on this list for new entries. Um, all right. Which is better? Uh, Blade Trinity at number 194 or this documentary? Man, Blade Trinity's got Triple H in it. <laughs> it's got Triple H, Ryan Reynolds, Patton Oswalt, and a vampire Pomeranian. And that's nothing to sneeze at. I don't know if I could put... A documentary. So here's one thing that I have to ask. Uh-huh. Are we putting this film so high on its own merits or on its subject's merits? Right, right. That's the real question. Like, they could have made a perfectly mediocre, shitty documentary about scary stories, and I would be high on it just because I love those books so much. Why do so many people in this documentary get interviewed in a burned-out, abandoned building? <laughs> Yeah, that was inscrutable. They're just like standing around in a in a in a derelict building, going, "Yeah, I, I really like those books. I thought they were good." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming to our abandoned building to, to talk about these books. Um, that's they kind of didn't know what the backdrop should look like, so occasionally they would show just like a rando cemetery in the background. It was it was a lot. Um, my favorite part of the doc is when they had audio interviews. They had someone do 
Gamel-esque animations of what they were talking about. Oh, yeah. No, actually, the, 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 those illustrations were really fucking dope. Like, they've, they, they emulated his style, and they've got, like, you know, when they're talking about the, uh, the librarian who refused to fucking take it off the shelf, um, you know, they've got sort of this animated thing. It's, it's honestly, I, I feel like this is actually a good documentary. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, you get to see the son of Alvin Schwartz having an uncomfortable cheese plate with the head of the PTA. So, you know, I feel I feel pretty good about that. All right. Which uh, which is better? Uh, Interview with the Vampire at number 184 or Scary Stories? I think it's Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm going to agree, especially because as a sort of, you know, both of these are very 90s things. Uh, scary stories and the interview with the vampire movie. Um, I feel like it's interview with the vampire purely because of how bad Antonio Banderas's wig is as Armand the vampire, and also because like it's I I'm really fond of that movie for probably ridiculous reasons. But yeah, I, I think probably better. Um, I do, however, think that scary stories is probably better than the Devil's Nightmare. Yeah, because again, Euro horror isn't everyone's kind of jam, so I can see why yeah. that's a and, little that's a little tough of a sell. Yeah, and this is a very American documentary, I think. Like it's it's really, really digging into like American folklore and the American experience of, you know, sort of satanic panic. Especially because like I feel like we had I don't know, the satanic panic was like a cold that it took us like a decade to fucking kick. Yeah. I mean Proc- people really believed that Procter and Gamble was a satanic company. People thought that Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist because he has six letters in his first, middle, and last name. Like Man. every everybody was just fucking all hopped up on Satan for the duration of the Reagan years. Um, but yeah, so I feel pretty good about that. So coming in at our new number one eighty six is uh, Scary Stories, the documentary about them books. Um, Quincy, where can our listeners find this on the internet? Well, uh, they can find us at our website, rankandvile.com. They can find us uh, frequently on Twitter, at rankandvilecast, and on Instagram, at rankandvile. We have a YouTube page. We have a Discord server, uh, which if you ever need an invite, that can be found on Twitter, or you can always email or tweet us, and we'll just send you the link, uh, send you an invite. Um, we have a letterboxed. We have uh, we have a TikTok. <laughs> we have a lot of stuff. Rank and vile the flamethrower. Like we've we've really just got a lot of related properties. Um, if there is, so we didn't we're, we weren't able to get around to any requests today um, because we just had to cut a promo on the PTA apparently. Um, if you have any movies that you want us to watch, let's say that you're sitting at home and thinking, when are they going to do Maximum Overdrive, that time they let Stephen King direct a movie on cocaine? Um, you're going to want to send that request, and I'm begging you to send that request, to uh, rankandvilecast at gmail.com, or you're going to want to drop that in our ask box on Tumblr at just rank and vile. Um, but barring that, I think that's about all I got. You got anything else? Uh, yeah, real quick, thank you to Wild Eye Releasing uh, for sending us the DVD copy of Scary Stories. Uh, it rules. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. if you don't, you know, in this day and age, I completely understand if you don't care for 
Amazon Prime. Um, so, but you can get this on VOD from other venues, or um, you can just buy the DVD from your local DVD retailer, which I think some people might still have. Oh no, I don't know if those exist. Surely Walmart, oh wait. Surely Target, oh wait. Surely Best Buy. Sure. Go see it somehow. All, all these? Um, yeah. That's, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's uh, that's all I got. Do you got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks. <laughs>